Clou, Kai Clou, Pedran Clou. To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. Hey everybody, welcome back to What's This Dow All About? Uh, my name is uh, Todd Perry, and with me is the great Dr. Carl Totten, and we are here at the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California, uh, coming back to do another round of shows for everybody. So uh, thank you all for listening, and thank you to everyone uh, who donated to our show during our, our recent fundraiser we've, uh, we've been having. Uh, basically, uh, for those who aren't familiar, uh, for $15... Uh, that you can donate on the site through PayPal. Uh, we are giving away uh, a show that we have never aired that's called Finding Talents in Chapters 42 and 53. And there's also three guided meditations by Dr. Carl Totten. They're all about 25 minutes long. Uh, one of them teaches you how to get into the sacred space of the heart that we've been talking about on the show. Yes. And, you know, I, I actually call this my body, mind, spirit series. Okay. Because one is a guided meditation. You know, as we know, people are really stressed these days. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and so, what, and so I, I did a whole series live on the air on kind of dealing with stress, healing emotional trauma. And so I put together a series of guided meditations, one essentially to relieve stress from the body, another to relieve stress from the mind. And the third one, a guided meditation into the sacred space in the heart. And that allows, of course, one to literally come into unity, into oneness with all life everywhere. How to become one with the Tao. And so it's uh, a lot of fun and it gives people something they can actually do every day to alter their perception and perspective to become more aligned with the great Tao. And you can find that at whatsthisdao.com. Just donate, and within usually maybe same day, day or two after, I will uh, send you out links to all this uh, great audio that we have there. So probably, what, about two hours, two and a half hours worth of uh, Taoist content uh, for your pleasure. And thank you again to everybody who donated. I've been really shocked by the response, and Dr. Carl Totten and I thank you very much uh, for helping us spread the Tao to the world via this podcast. Also, a little bit of housekeeping. We were recently on a podcast called The Tao of Work and Family. Mm-hmm. It's hosted by a wonderful uh, psychologist named Yale from Brown University, and she uh, kindly invited us on the show, and so we had a nice back and forth with her. So you can find that uh, wherever podcasts are uh, available for free. Uh, find it on iTunes, um, and it's called The Tao of Work and Family. And we sat and kind of discussed uh, how, uh, you know, the Tao kind of fits in with family relationships and t- child rearing and give a bit of background about how this show came to be. Yes. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it's always uh, exciting to kind of go out 
and and really kind of share the wealth, so to speak. Yeah. You know, you know, there's I always say there's a spiritual law that if one has received, one must give. Right. And uh, the, you know, no point in us, no, you know, having you know read uh, you know ten thousand books and uh, <laughs> the ten thousand things and just keeping it all to ourselves. No, <laughs> spread it. We have to spread the wealth. That's right. And that's what this show is all about. And uh, some you know the books that I'm working on are all about and. Uh, yeah, things are in the pipeline. Things are coming. Yes. So, uh, on with the show. Um, a, a gentleman named Benjamin Oliver, uh, a while back, he created a religion called Dudism. And it's basically based on the teachings from the film The Big Lebowski, the Coen Brothers cult film, which I have seen probably uh, 10 trillion times. And I'm actually on the special features of the Big Lebowski 10th Anniversary Edition DVD. I was interviewed at a Lebowski Fest uh, about it. And I had no idea that I was on this DVD till a buddy hit me up on Facebook, goes, so awesome you're on the Lebowski uh, DVD. And I said, uh, what? <laughs> I decided to go buy a copy that night, and I found myself drunkenly being interviewed in Las Vegas circa 2004 about the Big Lebowski. Um, and then also, I got to sneak in backstage at uh, Lebowski Fest uh, in Hollywood, and uh, Jeff Bridges was there, who played the dude, the famous mm-hmm. dude in The Big Lebowski. And I snuck back, because I used to always keep a radio badge on me when I was going to events that made it look like I worked for the Howard Stern Show. <laughs> I was had nothing really to do with it, but I worked at the station where it was broadcast out of, but I had a Howard Stern Show badge, and you wouldn't believe it, but that would get you into places. And I, I, I noticed the art of getting in backstage places with the badges to look annoyed when you flash <laughs> the badge, because then people think you're like really important. You're like, oh my God, do I have to show this badge again? Like you do it all the time, and then people just let you in. <laughs> yeah, I've I've used that trick myself. Yeah, <laughs> you know, for actually for thirty years, I was licensed as an EMT, an emergency medical technician. Oh, wow. you when know, I used to work fairs and festivals and things like that. Oh, oh, tell me. Flash my badge. I can get in anywhere. Right. <laughs> People, oh, someone's dying. Go ahead. Go, you know. I thought you had a badge that said, like, you know, Taoist priest. <laughs> oh, please, come on through, sir. <laughs> no, just EMT. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and I, I, I got to meet Jeff Bridges briefly backstage. And so I asked him, I said, is there some kind of spiritual idea behind the dude? You know? And he goes, yeah, you know, man, and he sounded exactly like the basket. <laughs> you know, man, my my uh, buddy, man, works at the Bodhi Tree, you know, the bookstore, you know, the spiritual bookstore. He asked me that same question, man. <laughs> he never answered my question. <laughs> so this guy, Benjamin Oliver, he's created a church of Dudism, and I guess there's like 400,000 people that oh are registered uh, congregants or practitioners, and he wrote a book called The Dude De Ching. <laughs> and now the dude De Ching, it takes ideas from the Big Lebowski and the kind of teachings of it, and the, he rewrites the 81 chapters of the Tao De Ching uh, as if, uh, you know, c- kind of referencing the uh, the film. And, you know, it's kind of cute when you read those, but, you know, they're kind of so abstract and different from the normally abstract uh, Tao that it's not really spiritually useful, but if you're a big fan <laughs> of the film, it's cool. But... 
Uh, the, he also does chapter breakdowns on what each one means, and it's a great um, introduction to Taoism uh, just for the layman, kind of like the Tao of Pooh, yeah. but, yes. but using the Big Lebowski. So there are just a couple things I want to read from him because I thought it was uh, kind of valuable. It's probably a lot of fun at you know Friday night at two a.m. You know after a few uh, yeah. <laughs> tall ones. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, and so in in his, in his book, and I think this is something we've touched on on the show is kind of see the Tao Te Ching as kind of a theory of everything kind of idea. And uh, Benjamin Oliver writes by giving the name Tao to something so vague and yet all encompassing and all purpose. Lao Tzu seems to have intended Taoism to represent a sort of theory of everything. This term already exists in physics, of course. The goal of unifying the different theories of physics into one cohesive whole, a feat yet unaccomplished. Similarly, all religions are attempts at fashioning their own theories of everything. Even if they... Oh, their own toe theory of everything, even if they end up being stubbed increasingly <laughs> against science or other conveniences of the modern world. Um, and so basically, you know, he kind of sees the, like, kind of like I do, is the, the Tao being a, a metaphor for a world that is a universe that we exist in that is very hard to kind of sum up into specifics or to take into account all the different variables of just existing and, and being in this universe. Yeah. And so the Tao is kind of, I see it as like this metaphor as a theory of everything uh, mm -hmm. kind of idea. And then uh, there's one other thing where he talks about how why Jeffrey Lebowski in The Big Lebowski is sort of a uh, Taoist character or someone representative of a man <laughs> living in the Tao. <laughs> he says that when the stranger, the uh, Sam Elliott character in the film, says that the dude fits right into his time and place, he isn't pegging him as some sort of ideal persona, but rather a man with an impressively, fle impressively flexible attitude. He fits in because he knows how to adapt, to bend with an ever-changing flow. At the end of the film, the dude is the only character who manages to persevere and remain true to his ideals, precisely because he doesn't subscribe to any. <laughs> he doesn't follow any rules. <laughs> right. It's, uh, you know, it's like, like saying uh, when nothing's done, nothing's left undone. <laughs> In fact, it reminds me, didn't we do, I think we did a show, yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure we did, where we talked about, you know, was uh, Lao Tzu uh, an anarchist? Oh, yeah, Remember? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, the dude is definitely an anarchist. <laughs> yes, yes. Rather, he takes in everything as it comes and releases everything as it goes. Like his rug, his opinions are functional but fleeting fabrications, woven from lots of strands in the duder's head. Hmm. I'll do one little piece right here. And so, uh, also, I guess in the Tao Te Ching, mostly, I guess mostly in Changsa, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Totten, um, they talk about kind of there was an ideal man of the past, right? And man had kind of lost its way and kind of lost harmony with the universe. Mm -hmm. And uh, teaching about the Tao and everything was almost like a course correction for humanity. Mm -hmm. And in uh, the author here, Benjamin, he gets kind of in deep in depth about that and has a really good perspective on why things like uh, Taoism, uh, Christianity, Judaism, a lot of these ideas emerged right around the same time. Um, Zoroastrianism. Uh, it says, it's no wonder why nearly all the world's major religions began roughly 2,000 to 2,500 years ago, coinciding with movements of tribal folks into cities, which we all call civilization. 
For some hundred thousand years or so prior, we lived in small tribal hunter-gatherer fisher-slacker groups of 100 to 150 people, and our brains have evolved to adapt to that sort of lifestyle that that arrangement entailed. In other words, we fit right into our time and place. Human beings only required systems of religion because after being thrown out of that green Eden, we needed to reprogram our natural instincts and behaviors to accommodate strangers and governments and surplus wealth and agriculture and crippling envy and new virulent diseases. The Tao Te Ching was compiled right around that time that civilization was entering a particularly violent era of conquest in China. This so-called warring states period saw unprecedented levels of slaughter as emperors rivaled for total control of the scattered Chinese kingdoms. Thus, it stands to reason that the ancient sages that Lao Tzu is referencing here are philosophers who helped govern small tribes, villages, and proto-towns back when those geographies were still relatively peaceful and undeveloped. Hmm. So that's surprising history you get in the dude Day Ching. Yeah, interesting. And, and he's accurate in, in, in terms of referencing that period of time, you know, 2,000 to 2,500 years ago. Because approximately 2,500 years ago, three major spiritual figures were alive at roughly the same time. Mm -hmm. right? Lao Tzu, mm -hmm. the Buddha, mm -hmm. and Confucius. Yeah. And there was a lot of disharmony in the world then, mm -hmm. well, as there kind of is now. Yeah. <laughs> and one of my major themes that I think about a lot is what is it in mankind's, humankind's soul or brain or somewhere that leads to this state of disorganization and disharmony? And it seems that one of the, in fact, I know that one of the things that all three of those gentlemen, you know, Confucius, Lao Tzu, and the Buddha, were definitely concerned with what is the natural order? Mm -hmm. What is the natural living spirit of a human being? And how can a human being come into harmony with that natural order? Now, they each had a little different take on that. You know, Confucius felt that the social order was very important, particularly the structure of the family and the relationship between the people and their emperors, mm -hmm. right? So it was very uh, stratified and um, almost predetermined in many ways. Yeah, uh, like a caste system. Yeah, kind of yeah, pretty much to some extent. And then, of course, the, the Buddha, of course, the word Buddha means the awakened one, and he wanted people to awake and realize the cause of their suffering, which, of course, was attachment to things that were impermanent. Yeah. And then Lao Tzu, uh, oh, can, can one define what Lao Tzu was all about <laughs> in a uh, few sentences here? We haven't here. got there yet. <laughs> yeah, that's what this entire show is about. That'll be the <laughs> last episode when we get to there. And we go, okay, yeah. we're good. <laughs> you know, Lao Tzu I, it kind of was looking at things from another perspective where he was seeing the totality of the whole within the one and the one within the all and came up in the Tao Te Ching with ideas about how to heal that breach, if mm -hmm. you will, yeah. so that one could live a full life in harmony with the best of themselves, in harmony with the living Tao itself. 
you know, with the, with so that the ten thousand things could flow as one, one might say. Mm-hmm. And looking around the world today, again, one of the things I think about constantly is how can these messages be distributed in current society. Yeah, because I it, it seems to me that we've lost we've largely lost our way, mm-hmm. uh, we've largely lost our minds. It seems sometimes these days, and you know, there's there's a, I think we need a, a reckoning of sorts where the human spirit is able to reconcile with the mind, with the brain, because the human brain is capable of justifying almost everything. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, no matter how I, violent, no matter how I- insane and uh, and out of whack, you know, we can justify almost anything. Yeah. And uh, and so I I think that w- one of the pr- purposes I think of this program even is to, to begin to discuss some ideas that can help each one of us find our own Tao, and by so doing, learn how to really live in harmony with the great Tao, and all the rest of humanity. Because frankly, you know, humanity has not done a really good job in terms of learning how to live together without killing each other. Yes. We, we, we're not very good at that yet. No, no, we're getting better, but no, we're not. <laughs> this is actually, what was it, one right now is the most peaceful time in human history that we kind of know about, actually, when it comes to war and stuff. Right, in terms of the body count. Yes, in terms of body <laughs> count, yeah. Body count was way worse in, like, 1400. Or, you know, like... Well, it was funny, it was off topic, but I was looking at it, it was, like, the murder rates in the United States when mm-hmm. they were highest or whatever. Mm-hmm. And funny thing, you know, the, 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 the highest murder rate was the United States was, like, 1910. Wow. That's when we were most violent, actually. Um, and then... Back in the 80s, it was pretty bad. But, uh, but like, 1910 was, like, by far, like, people were really killing each other then, mm. you know? Mm. Um, anyway, uh, so do you think, I know this is kind of going off topic. This is a great thread you've hit on. Uh, do you think that, say, you know, if Lao Tzu was to return, you know, back from heaven <laughs> after <laughs> resurrecting or what? No. If, if Lao Tzu was to show up, do you think that Lao Tzu would think that humanity is... Or maybe we in its predicament because humanity is over its head. Maybe we shouldn't live in the type of social arrangements which we have. Do you think he'd favor, hey, like, let's all get back to, like, living on a kibbutz or let's, maybe we don't need all this mass communication. Maybe we need to go back to almost a tribal way of living. Do you think he would recommend that or you would, you know, because if we evolved in that, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, if you, you took a you took a monkey out of the forest and you... You know, you stuck a monkey in an office, right? It's okay, but he was going to do better eating bananas in the tree. Is maybe humanity, this isn't the proper arrangement for us. And if we went back to the simpler kind of way of living, uh, we would have far less problems. Uh, I wonder. I wonder. You know, uh, much of the Tao Te Ching, really, it's, it's a, in a sense, it's sort of a guide book, in part for rulers, Right? Yeah. How how to rule in a in the least obtru- uh, in the most kind of unobtrusive way yeah. where where you're almost invisible, but yet everything works. Yeah. Uh, everything works because the conditions have been set up for people to become fulfilled, uh, compassion, and uh, empathy, 
and helping others is our values that the, he felt were important. Mm-hmm. And he felt that many uh, leaders, particularly back in those days where you had emperors who had all power, uh, of course, frequently stepped all over those boundaries, yeah. <laughs> you know, in their desire to protect their authority, to extend their power and to acquire stuff. Yeah. Uh, sounds familiar. Yes. Almost kind yes. of like today. Right? Yeah. My, <laughs> my favorite thing uh, Lao Tzu says is don't don't use Twitter. <laughs> the, the part about rulers. But. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I think that many things I think have uh, in a sense remained the same because we're still dealing with the same polarized, divided I sometimes call it bipolar brain (laughs) that, you know, that people had 2,500 years ago. They still have today. People still separate things and people into categories all the time. And when you make some, something or someone different than you, it's very, becomes very easy to demonize them. Mm, And when you have demonized someone, how do you treat them? Yes. Yeah. How, how how do you excuse how you treat them? It's much yeah. easier, right? <laughs> and as you unf- say, we rationalize. <laughs> we rationalize. And yeah. if and if you look throughout history, that's what we've done, often in the name of what? God, religion. Yeah. Right. And so we know that many of the world's larger religions have a pretty dismal track record, you know, when it comes to spreading uh, truth. When it comes to spreading justice, fairness, compassion, even though the ideals of the religion might at least give lip service to many of these concepts, in actual practice, uh, we seem to have fallen far short. Yeah, of the intention. And so I'm sure uh, Lao Tzu would comment (laughs) quite a bit on on that topic and tell us we need to get back to our own inner nature and we need to let go of these artificial um, dichotomies that have led to the high level of uh, internal and external violence that humanity has committed against itself. Very nice, very nice. Speaking of that, uh, we have a listener that wrote in and has some questions about feeling the Tao, Mm -hmm. which can uh, hopefully lead him on the path of uh, going to this point of healing, like uh, you were just discussing. Um, Hi, I'm really enjoying the show. I always got to read the compliment at the beginning. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for putting it out into the world. I'm up to episode 25, so I don't know if you guys have addressed this, or maybe I've missed it in an earlier episode, but I'm having trouble with feeling the Tao. I think I have a decent grasp of the Tao intellectually, but I don't think it's penetrated to the heart. I feel like this is a problem in various aspects of my life, getting things with my head but not getting the impact emotionally. I read from the Tao Te Ching most every morning, and I'm starting to get back into meditation, but in the past I've had trouble sticking to it. Perhaps I can't get out of my head, or it's a lack of patience to allow it to happen. I don't know. Anyways, is there any thoughts to help me connect with the Tao on a deeper level than just the mind? Love the show, and thank you from Ethan. Yes. So let me give you my response to this, and you tell me if I'm wrong, Dr. Totten. Um, is he's saying he kind of wants to feel the Tao and kind of feel it emotionally? And I'm, I'm thinking the Tao is kind of everything, right? You know what I'm saying? Like it's not just maybe an emotion, but 
smell, t- you know, right? It's the entirety kind of experience, correct? So it's almost, is the answer that everything is kind of in and of the down. It's about being attuned to everything, being in the moment, being attuned to nature, being in tune to what is going on around you versus trying to feel some specific, like, feel the force, Luke, kind of thing. <laughs> you know, well, you know, th- these kind of terms that we threw around because, you know, if we're going to, again, what was the first thing out of Lao Tzu's mouth in the Tao Te Ching? The Tao, <laughs> the Tao that, that can't be told. told is not the real Tao, right? Yeah. And so regarding feeling the Tao, I think it's a common concern for a few reasons. First of all, much of the Tao Te Ching and other Taoist writings are fairly abstract, <laughs> one might say. Yeah. And so it's easy to become somewhat confused. Uh, also, many discussions of Taoism are basically intellectual, philosophical, or academic, leading to a more mental understanding of the teachings. So it's not unusual that someone might be having trouble getting out of their head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and back to what you mentioned just a few moments ago, the one solution I've come up with is my guided meditations that specifically lead one into that heart space that he was discussing, really a place of unity consciousness within that heart center that is in harmony with the great void of the Tao or the universe. And it starts by actually allowing one to connect with Mother Earth herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, uh, you know, many uh, indigenous uh, people, native people around the world feel that Mother Earth actually is a living being with her own consciousness. Mm-hmm. And if we can link ourselves with the consciousness of the earth, uh, first of all, we become better stewards of the earth. Yes. <laughs> you know, it, it's hard to d- destroy something that you actually feel a living connection with. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, your e- ecological stewardship of the planet becomes a lot better, mm-hmm. probably. And so. Uh, the this heart meditation allows one to link with the earth with a feeling of deep openness and love, and then that extends to the to the heavenly bodies, you know, to the stars, to the sun, to the uh, the entire rest of the universe. You know, the Chinese constantly were talking about what the unification of heaven and earth. And this is not simply an abstraction, actually. There's actually a process, you know, that actually in that heart meditation, I actually guide the listener into exactly how to do that, how to feel that deep sense of love for the earth, for the heavens, which represents, you know, you might say the rest of the universe, and then how to feel that loving connection for and with ourselves, with heaven and earth, so that, you know, a, a saying that I'm very um, um, much like to repeat is from Hermes of Greece, as above, so below, as within, so without. You know, the microcosm reflects the macrocosm, and the obverse is true as well. And when we feel that there's no separation between us and the earth and the rest of the universe and all of humanity, I think we wind up feeling much more compassionate and much more uh, have, have a deeper sense of, uh, of equality among all beings, 
where we feel like the earth is here for us to be nourished by and in turn to nourish and take care of the earth. And that feeling of connection and compassionate attitude towards all life everywhere, I really think is at the heart of what this Tao ultimately is all about. Very, very true. Uh, you also say frequently, uh, and this, this helps me out, uh, hopefully it'll help out uh, Ethan, is you, you say, uh, lead with the heart and not the head. Yes. You know, sometimes when there's a situation where um, I might feel judgmental towards someone or whatever, if I, I, I find myself being that way, if I kind of switch my consciousness to what I feel my heart, uh, then I, I, I go to a place of um, empathy mm-hmm. m- yes. more so than, yes. than judgment, right? Yes. And yes. I think that kind of switching to that point of empathy Empathy might help somebody kind of mm-hmm. feel more in touch with the Tao because you're feeling the empathy, you know, with, with the tree mm-hmm. over here or a bug mm-hmm. flying by or mm-hmm. um, uh, you're feeling inquisitive about the movement mm-hmm. of the stars or whatever. And that's kind of more mm-hmm. of a place of wonder mm-hmm. than uh, – and that, that'll open you up yeah. possibly. Yeah. And, you know, I often say that, you know, a Taoist is what? Curious. Yes. Right? And when you're curious about something, as opposed to just condemning it, whatever it is, yeah, you know, you want to get to know it. That that requires that term you just mentioned, empathy, right? Being able to see things out of someone else's eyes, being able to take a different perspective. And when we can do that, then we we we, we tend to find solutions as opposed to just fi- finding condemnations and having a more punitive attitude towards other situations, other ideas, and other people. Yeah. Which, of course, has led to most of the problems that we've had on this earth. That's right. You know, they stem from separation. You know, not seeing things as connected, as linked. You know, most of the great sages say that everything that we are looking at outside of ourselves is, in a sense, an illusion, you know, Again, as above, so below, as within, so without. You know? And once we actually feel and experience things with that underlying deep connection that's always there, but it's easy to miss, you know, because our brains tend to divide things into so many different categories. You know, once we take that different perspective, we change. And one of the things that I emphasize on that, uh, my guided meditations, and that I've been talking about you know, in our podcast, is that, you know, it's not something that we do here and there and now and then. You know, it has to be, it has to become who we are Mm -hmm. and how we experience ourselves in the world. Uh, And that's where that daily practice comes in, that so-called daily gong. Yeah. You know, know, that, uh, you know, a few programs back, you know, I I actually taught one, you know, live right here on the air. And you can download it from our website, 100% free. Just uh, take it under the the 10-day gong episode. Mm -hmm. You can download a PDF right there. Yes, yes. That would be very helpful for people. Um, So let's get on. Thank you, Ethan, for writing in. And anybody who wants to uh, write into the show, please, we have a a website up there. Uh, We have a email on our website that you can uh, check out. And now let's move over to chapter 35 of the Tao Te Ching. Uh, Let's see here. Chapter 35, and this is the uh, Fang English translation. 
All men will come to him who keeps to the one, for there lie rest and happiness and peace. Passers-by may stop for music and good food, but a description of the Tao seems without substance or flavor. It can be seen. It cannot, it cannot be seen. It cannot be heard. And yet, it cannot be exhausted. Hmm. So that leads back to how we were talking about connecting with this mysterious energy, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And also, I think, you know, the Taoist way really involves being in a state of gratitude for what is already present. You know, kind of learning how to experience and express appreciation. Thus, there is nothing to become exhausted. Yeah. You know, as long as something can be used up, and it's easy to use up if you always need more and more and more. Yeah. You know, because then, you know, something is always empty if you need more and more and more. Right. But if you can appreciate what you already have, then you have a, a feeling of being satisfied no matter what you have, you know, because, you're, you're, because then you're able to feel gratitude for what's present rather than striving for what is not present yet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in this uh, chapter, uh, I was reading kind of Derek Lynn's take on it, and uh, he's, he actually translates it a bit differently. He says, uh, you know, uh, hold the great image uh, instead of people will instead of keeping to the one. But I think that's kind of a similar thing, is keeping focused on the Tao. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says that, you know, people who keep to the one or, you know, hold the great image of the Tao in their minds and in their consciousness uh, are in a state of illuminated oneness, mm-hmm. translucent clarity, mm-hmm. and ineffable joy. Um, and I guess... He and both translations say this that people are attracted to that. People who do that consistently, there's a joy or a light or a, a charisma surrounding those type of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just thinking, like, the, and so in here they're saying, you know, passersby may stop for music or good food, you know, something that's calling attention to itself. But the Tao is not something that causes attention to itself. Um, but it's you know cannot be exhausted. So I think again, when when they talk about one who keep to the one, um, and and they have this ineffable joy or they have, they have this sense of clarity about them, and people are attracted to that, and it, it makes me it reminds me of that mis- is it an explanation of that mysterious charisma that certain people have that you know with people who are famous or whatever that there's a you know if you I know you've you've worked with famous people or whatever given your work and everything like that and there is something different about lots of those people in certain ways you know some some people not so much but there is certain people i've met you know living around la you, mm-hmm. you meet people and stuff and there's certain people i met that were they they had there was a power about them or mm-hmm. when people right. say they meet some politicians yes. have you know that kind of particularly in public <laughs> yeah. yeah because a lot of uh, powerful people uh, uh, politicians entertainers and again yeah i've known some of the biggest uh, uh, they, you know, th- when they're in public, they're, you might say they're on stage. Yeah. And there's a persona that they are wearing. Yeah. And uh, which, I, by the way, many of them, you speak to them privately, that persona becomes quite a burden. Yeah. B- because there's a huge divergence between the heft and weight of that persona 
and the reality of the little person inside mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know that inner child that still is feeling kind of abandoned overlooked neglected having their feelings hurt being bullied etc and i think a lot of that external public persona is a way to try and uh, squelch some of those feelings at times by living in a world where those feelings don't exist yeah. and instead this person is admired and filled fills other people with a sense of you know admiration and uh, wanting to be like them and they wear this 24/7 uh, like a cloak right but uh, but of course what is not so evident is the shadow that's following them mm-hmm. you know the, those those disowned hidden parts of the self that have been shunted away but i often say that you know what what's in your shadow kind of behind you if you're not careful winds up stabbing you in the back <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true so maybe i was wrong and that's not <laughs> <laughs> that kind of charisma. That's a different well, kind of. Yeah. Uh, uh, there is a charisma, game. but but the sources of it, um, you know, sometimes need to be uh, looked at more carefully. Yes, yes, um, yes. So I so I wanted to see because we started off the beginning of this show referencing this. What the dude Day Ching has to say about Chapter Thirty Five. So I'll just read a little piece here. So I can, this kind of starts off with the, the idea of the saying that kind of the Tao is uh, kind of what, um, it, without substance or flavor. The simple pleasures in life can seem tasteless to those who are constantly pushing the envelope of experience. And yet, those who have stayed... And yet, those who have subtilized their senses... A glass, that must be a dudism. Yes, yeah, subtilized. <laughs> I've never heard this. Is that a word? <laughs> Those who have subtilized their senses, a glass of spring water and the sounds of nature, or whale songs and bowling soundtracks, can prove far more marvelous than a frozen tea latte blast or the latest CD box set of Metallica. Moreover, they are far cheaper to secure and more readily available. Hmm. Well, it's like my wife and I, we were in Palm Springs, and uh, it was just us, we were just relaxing by the pool, and I wanted to put on music. I said, oh, let's put some like, you know, jazz on in the background, let's put on a little... Oh, I was putting on a, a, a jazz album Prince made called The Rainbow Children. Anyway, uh, and I was just listening at the background. My wife's like, could you turn it off? I just want to hear the birds. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. I get you. Yeah, fine. Turn off my Prince record. But And she was right, you know, that peace and quiet of just listening to the birds sitting down in the middle of the desert was maybe more pleasurable than a late era Prince album, but <laughs> thus for someone like the dude who can enjoy himself without accoutrements or encumbrances, who can locate his quiet center even in the midst of a maelstrom, who can ride the waves of wonder to the bosom of the Pacific, the world is an unending oyster bar with free triple on tap. This is the bounty of Tao that is implied by this chapter, that merely being alive and attuned to the gifts of vitality renders us wealthy beyond our wildest dreams. To pr- to Appreciate that fact and to capitalize upon it is all it takes to improve the value of our investment in the world. Mm. 
So it's pretty, Dude Day Ching's pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it had a good source material. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's like our show, right? You know, people like, you know, people like the show. It's like, well, you know, we're kind of using someone else's material here. Uh, let's see here. Uh, why, why don't we do... Let's do one more chapter. Why not? Okay. We haven't had a show out in a while. Uh, this is chapter 43 from mm-hmm. the Tao Te Ching. Would you like to read yes. it, Dr. Totten? It's short and sweet. Mm-hmm. As follows. The softest thing on the, in the universe overcomes the hardest thing in the universe. That without substance can enter where there is no room. Hence, I know the value of non-action. Teaching without words and work without doing are understood by very few. Mm. Hmm. It's like saying how hard it is to understand Wu Wei. Yes. You know? You know, and one, one of my thoughts, you know, I, I teach martial arts, you know, Tai Chi, Kung Fu, things like that. And, you know, he's, he's really kind of alluding to the value, the power of yielding in this uh, passage. And some of the martial arts, like Tai Chi and Aikido, utilize these principles. You know, in Tai Chi, it's been said that one should be able to use four ounces to displace a thousand pounds. Wow. <laughs> Learning how to go with the flow, use someone's strengths against them or examples. You know, where the weaker or smaller person can overcome a stronger or larger person. And not in a contest of size or strength, uh, but by using this principle of softness and yielding. And this also sometimes works in our daily life as well, where we can basically kind of choose our battles carefully and yeah. know the value of non-action, as Lao Tzu would say. Letting things go and letting things just be as they are when appropriate, I think are really powerful Tao lessons. Yes. Because we tend to want to engage and fight and mm-hmm. prove that we are right. Yes. Right? The ego, if you will, yeah. is mobilized. And uh, when one person's ego uh, clashes with another person's ego in a contest to see who can be right. Both people hold their positions more strongly than they did before the conflict. Yes. How about that? Yes. That's one of the craziest psychological things is, (laughs) uh, you know, you sit and someone goes, I believe this and I stand essentially on this. And then you go, well, actually, here's facts and everything that prove you're wrong. The person will rationalize themselves and believe incorrectly even stronger. <laughs> there's, no, there's no way out of this. I know. Um, I know. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of like that old saying, you know, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Yeah. Well, you know, carried to its logical extension, you know, eventually, you know, you got a world full of blind people. You know? With no teeth. <laughs> With no teeth. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, w- I was putting together, you know, some chapters to talk about and everything the other day. And then I just happened to last night be, you know, running around YouTube and I found this video is a gal, if I, I apologize if I get the name wrong, I think it's Brene Brown, who's a researcher. Yes. Have you heard of her? I'd never yes. heard of her yes. until... Brene Brown, yes. And she did this TED Talk, which, was, which kind of vaulted her into the public consciousness, mm-hmm. where she was talking about um, vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, related exactly to this chapter. I was like, oh, we're talking about something very similar. And she was saying that, you know, um, A, what human beings desire most out of before, you know, right after food, water, and maybe sex, is like human connection. 
Yes. Right. And that's the people who are isolated from other people end up becoming depressed or, you know, all these different maladies stem from that. And she was saying, but in order for people to have connection, the most important thing is vulnerability. Right. And, you know, it's the people who are not vulnerable, who we, we have a hard time getting close to. You know, people talk about that father who's, you know, uh, you know, kind of militant or whatever and shows no cracks in his arm or whatever and they people never say oh yeah we were close <laughs> you know or people you know I'm an overbearing mother in some way or whatever and it's this vulnerability that uh, connects us to people mm-hmm. but and they're saying that people look at vulnerability like it's some kind of um, weakness when actually it takes so much more strength and yes. courage to be vulnerable to and, and she was talking about as Teddy Roosevelt would say being the man in the arena Mm-hmm. The person who's out there calling attention to themselves and maybe trying to change the world or putting something creative out there that they can get criticized for or somebody speaking out or being honest. And those are all the things that kind of bond people together. Mm-hmm. You know, you say I had a great night with a friend. It's usually maybe you had a conversation where you had a couple beers and you got vulnerable about something. Mm-hmm. And, and you were honest. Yeah. And, and I think that um, what's powerful about that is if we can be vulnerable and then be held in a, in a state where we still feel okay after expressing that vulnerability as opposed to one allows oneself to be vulnerable and then is not heard and therefore becomes hurt, that, of course, leads to more closing off in the future. Yeah, yeah. And so as a, as a therapist, you know, my main mission actually from the beginning and throughout the period of psychotherapy is to hold that space where people can be vulnerable and feel that they're heard and supported and not being judged and criticized. And then in that atmosphere, they're free to explore new ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving so they can become more of who they always were but could never allow themselves to be. And that, in a way, is like the softest thing, overcoming the hardest yes. thing in a very in a very real way. And wow, Lao Tzu knew this even before all this uh, research that the gal did back in two thousand nine <laughs> or something, right? Uh, and you know, and it's also when you think about the world's greatest creative people, these are people who are showing their vulnerabilities. Like we always say, how much we both mutually love Richard Pryor. And the guy was like an open wound walking yeah. around, right? <laughs> Expressing all his vulnerability. Yes. And it was hilarious because it was honest. And, you know, and any, any great creative person is really putting their soul out there to be stomped on. And they, may, they might have a misstep in their career and get stomped on, but then have to come back and be, <laughs> be vulnerable again, you know? Or even, you know, even doing this show, sometimes I'll get an email from someone that maybe. Maybe I didn't communicate what I was saying correctly or they don't, didn't like what I said or whatever. And it kind of, you know, we've gotten a couple <laughs> like that, Dr. Totten, a couple reviews like that, that, uh, that it's like, oh, but you just, okay, well, it's fine, you know. But as Brene Brown says, she goes, you know what, but I'm in the ring, right? <laughs> so you got to keep, keep being strong and be yes. in the ring and don't, yeah. don't, don't take anything. That's uh, actually what, what I call faith, mm-hmm. yeah, really, which is really... Faith in oneself. You know, if you're being authentic, if one is being true to oneself, then it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. And then we can use feedback from others 
to see where we might have been off or where we're not communicating clearly. Yes. You know, or worse, of course, we're stepping over boundaries and we're being annoying. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're somehow uh, hurting. We're, you know, we're, we're others, you know, we're not yeah. opening a space for more sharing and dialogue somehow. And that's valuable feedback. Yes, uh, definitely. Uh, of course, less valuable feedback is when someone is just coming from their egotistical position and they just want to be right. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you know, so discernment is a very important uh, quality, I think, for uh, people you know, to have. Um, you know, seeing things as they truly are, you know, without aff affectation and, and without um, being dogmatic. Just seeing things as they are, pure. And simple. I think that's at the heart of the doubt.